0: So this week we're starting this new series, Get, U- get Used to Different, and uh, today we're going to be talking about Total Dependence. And, and as we get into this, I want to, that, that title comes from a scene in, in the last, uh, the first season rather, of The Chosen, if you all not watch that, there's that, that moment where uh, uh, Mary has had this transformation uh, in herself, her very self. And Nicodemus is asking her, well, what happened, and how did he do this, and what did he say? And her response is very simple. She says, I don't know how that was. She says, all I know is this. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And my prayer as we move through this week is that that, and through this next eight weeks, that that becomes something that you can be able to say for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks as we gather this morning and your presence is with us and speaking into us and touching every part of our minds and hearts and spirits. Uh, We just offer ourselves to you this morning and ask your presence with us. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you've haven't watched this? I don't want to do a spoiler. Hopefully you have, but if you haven't watched the first episode, I'm going to tell you some things that might, you know, be a little bit of a spoiler. But it but it opens with John, and John is starting to write his gospel, and so he's sitting there and he's interviewing uh, the other disciples. You know, what happened when you met Jesus? What was that like, and what happened? And all of them are telling the story of, of transformation that takes place in their lives and how. Things changed in them. Now, one of, the, one of those disciples is Matthew, and if you remember the call. Uh, of Matthew, uh, Jesus is walking with the disciples, and he calls Matthew to follow him. And Matthew leaves the tax booth and and comes out. And as he's doing that, Peter is kind of stunned and a little bit and and, and protesting a little bit. You know that Matthew really isn't the kind of person they should be calling as a disciple. And Jesus reminds him, "Well, you know, Peter, uh, you know, not everybody thought you should be one of my disciples either." And and Peter says, "Oh, but that was different. Matthew is a tax collector," and Jesus said. Get used to different. This change, this transformation that takes place in us. We are supposed to be different. From From, from the very beginning, God called his people to be different. We're to be a sign. Uh, we're to be uh, light on the hill, you know, the salt of the world. I mean, we're, we're to be different. Even Even going back into the Old Testament... Uh, You have this uh, word that God speaks to Abraham when he calls him. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So so from the beginning when God's calling his people there to be agents of where his blessing flows. They should be showing that and through them it should be. Uh, Not only demonstrated, but shared with the rest of the world. Even in the time of exile, when uh, Israel was being held in Babylon, God spoke to them through his prophet Isaiah. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I mean, God's people are to be this sign, this light, this blessing in the midst of the world. And and what does that look like? You know, what does it look like to be that kind of people? This season of The Chosen kind of answers that question as we move through it. Each episode is based on part of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are, are that picture that Jesus paints at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount of, of what it looks like to be the people of God. So as he comes up to teach, here's what he says. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit It's a little kind of capsule uh, in the middle of of one of the densest pieces of teaching that we have in Scripture. Uh, called the Beatitudes, and I preached a sermon series on these a number of years ago, but you know, some people like to make little cute things with the name, They're the Beatitudes, that kind of thing and everything. Uh, that really isn't doing justice to this passage of Scripture. Uh, the name Beatitudes comes from the Latin word beati, uh, which means to be happy, rich, or blessed. And, and it's not happy in the sense of ha, 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 but it's happy in the sense of life being good, uh, rich in the sense of life being purposeful and deep, A blessed in the sense of experiencing the favor of God, being satisfied with the presence of God in your life. Um, The writers of the the series, of The Chosen, uh, say this, in the Sermon on the Mount, the blessed statements are not do this and be happy life hacks. They aren't expressions of conditional expectation, rather they are declarations of what is already true for those who follow Jesus. I mean, this is a picture of what the community of faith, of what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. And so each week we're going to take a, a piece of that and, and kind of draw that picture out as we move through it. And this week the, the passage that we're kind of uh, we're pulling out is, is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what I want to start with is a, there's a little short clip uh, where Jesus is teaching. Uh, you'll remember he's, he's gone to Samaria. Uh, and we've had the event with the woman at the well. He's gone to her village, Sakar, and, and He's teaching there. And as He's teaching this, I want you to listen for what kind of picture He might be drawing in this, this teaching as to what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Have your ears open.
1: Are there any sheep herders in the crowd? I am. Ah, Welcome. We are honored you are here. I have a very warm place in my heart for shepherds. Who is tending your flock now? My brother. We're taking turns. How many sheep? One hundred, teacher. Say one of them goes astray. What do you do? I'd go look for it, of course. Of course. But what about the other ninety-nine? I'd have to leave them behind. I can't lose the one sheep. Hmm. And if you find it? I'd lay it over my shoulders and bring it home. And I would probably do a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say to your friends who are worried for you? Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Do You see what he just said there? He rejoices more for one sheep than over the 99 who never went astray. So it is not the will of my father that one of these should perish. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance.
0: Look at them. I couldn't tell Jew from Samaritan the way they're listening. Now, I hope you noticed a couple of things. I mean. One is that, that traditional teaching of the, of the lost sheep and the way, I love the way they do this and lay this out in the show, but, but, but the emphasis on the rejoicing over the one that's found. You know, we're very familiar with that John three sixteen, for God so loved the world passage, but sometimes we forget the John three seventeen that comes after that that says, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I mean, the kingdom of God is rejoicing in when people return, when people come home, when people return to God. That's the mission. It's not about condemnation, but rather it's about salvation, about bringing people back into a saving relationship with God through Christ. And there's joy that comes out of that and celebration that comes out of that. And Jesus is reminding them in this passage that, that that's the thrust. Uh, of his ministry and of the gospel. And and the little piece that goes with that, did you hear the disciples at the end? Uh, John and Peter are are standing up there and they're talking back and forth. And what does Peter says? You couldn't tell Jews or Samaritans from the way they're listening to him. And Jews and Samaritans have been enemies for a long time, adversaries for centuries. But in Christ they come together. They're not laying aside all their differences, as we'll see in a minute. They're not laying aside all their differences, but they're drawn together in Jesus Christ. I mean, the gospel, one, uh, one author has written and said, you know, the, the gospel is, is all inclusive. Everyone receives the invitation, and yet it's also ec- exclusive because only those who accept the invitation enter the kingdom. Here Jesus is laying it out and it's bridging the gap between these two people as he draws them together in his presence. It's a little picture of what, of what the kingdom is, this kind of out, outreaching, uh, you know, salvific kind of community that is drawing people to Jesus Christ. Now the core of, of, of this week when he's talking about this particular beatitude of the poor in spirit is kind of a contrast that they draw between uh, the farmer, Melech, and and the disciples James and John. So uh, early on in the, in the series, uh, in the show, James and John are out plowing a field. They don't know why Jesus has told them to do it. It actually turns out it's Melech's field because Melech has a broken leg, so he can't work his farm, uh, and he's struggling with poverty. And, and the disciples go to Melech's home one evening, and uh, they bring the meal, all the food and everything they need with him, and ask to dine with Melech. And so they have a great meal together, and they're sitting around the fire later that evening talking. And Melech uh, begins to kind of talk a little bit about the hardship his family has. And Jesus says, tell me your story. And uh, so he begins to tell a story about how things had gotten difficult and he hadn't been able to find work and, and, and they didn't have food in the house. And his, his daughter was starving and his wife was starving. And here's Melech telling his story. My
2: little Rebecca, I could see her ribs through her skin and Her eyes turned gray. There had been a drought, so there was no work in town. I had a friend in Tiratana who was also in bad straits. We traveled south past the frame and lied in waits along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We attacked a Jew who was traveling along. Pulled him down from his horse, took all his money and all his clothes. He fought back, so Dishon knocked him down, hit his head on a rock. I thought he was probably dead. Dishon was to take the Jews' belongings and sell them to bond traders in Anatot. I was to ride north and sell the horse at a Roman outpost. <laughs> but I wasn't on for ten minutes when she reared up through me, broke my leg. I had to... I had to crawl on my elbows and forearms to the nearest town and beg for a ride back to Sikar, worse off than before. So now you know what you've done. The kind of man you've helped. Every day, I think. She
0: So what story do you think this is the other side of? Is there a parable that might go with this? Yeah. You know, we've heard the Good Samaritan parable told a number of times and wondered about the man injured on the road. Have you ever wondered about what happened to the robber? Now, let's be honest. This is not in Scripture. This is the writer speculating. But but in this character, you see a picture of, of what poor in spirit is. I mean his life's been devastated. He goes out and performs this horrific act, and be clear, they're not justifying what he did. But in the act of doing that, he gets injured. He's even worse off than before. So now Jesus and the disciples have come. They've plowed his field, they brought food into his house, and what does he say? So now you know what kind of man you've helped. I could be a murderer, right? You hear the ox's voice every day. I can't help but think about that Jew. You know, alone and, and bleeding on the side of the road, possibly dead. I mean, you hear the, the pain in him, the despair in him, that he recognizes that he's done this horrible thing. And he's spilling it out to Jesus. That's what it means to be poor in spirit recognize who we really are who we really are and to be able to open that up and share it with the Christ now, again the writers talk about being poor in spirit as to take a need now and forevermore it means to live and surrender to our Savior relying on Him for the help we can't possibly provide ourselves to come in the presence of Christ carrying that load that we can't get rid of that guilt we can't unload, that shame we can't get rid of, all those things in our past we've done that bind us, all of our faults and failures, and to be able to bring that in God and be set free of those. Something we can't do for ourselves. To live in a total dependence on the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Melek is the poor in spirit in this show. And to him and his family is the gift of the kingdom.
2: Oh. Really? What's wrong, Alva? <clears throat> What's wrong? My No No oh. baby! Ah. I'm <laughs> sorry.
1: so funny. Oh, I just know of a family that's having an unexpectedly good morning.
0: (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now contrast that with what you're going to see in this next little clip, where James and John and Jesus encounter some Samaritans just outside of the city of Saqqar.
1: You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you, too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you, too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something.
2: What would that achieve? Defending your honor. They
1: reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work Melech's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? Do you think it was just to be more helpful, or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here.
0: Mm. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that lecture. (laughs) So let's call down fire on them. Let's incinerate them. They're not deserving of you. Do you hear the self-righteousness and the pride and the arrogance and the anger? And Jesus' reprimand, do you you think you're better than they are? Well, you're not. And from just a few minutes earlier when when Jesus is speaking and the Jews and Samaritans, you can't tell which one is which, all of a sudden they've stepped right back into those old worlds of enmity where both sides hate each other. Both sides think they're right and the others are wrong. And both think that they're in their self-righteousness They have gained the privilege of being hateful and even attacking each other. It's the opposite of being blessed are the poor in spirit. It's being the proud and the arrogant and the self-righteous in spirit. And what they receive is the rebuke. So, so... In a few minutes, as they're walking away from this scene, Jesus is going to be walking with James and John, and he's going to affirm, he's going to say, I love the passion that is in you, even though it's misdirected in this place. And he's going to claim that passion in them and nickname them sons of thunder because of that passion. And when it's directed in the right way, it can be a powerful thing. But when it's directed in the wrong way, it can be also destructive. So now, which one of these is you? I mean, are what ways are you like the sons of thunder? In what ways are you like the sons of thunder? And we've gone through this week, the uh, Supreme Court vacated the Roe versus Wade ruling, and uh, almost immediately, reactions were coming out. And there were a lot of people calling down fire upon each other, Right? raining fire from heaven on each other. Now let me ask you guys, how many of y'all have an opinion about that decision by the Supreme Court? How many of you have an opinion on that? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you actually read it? At least I had... Oh, okay, one hand. Okay. I think I had two at 845. Oh, here's a couple. Okay, three, four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you have an opinion if you haven't even read it and understand it. And shouldn't we read it first and maybe explore it a little bit and lean into God and pray and and seek God's wisdom and discernment before we light up the Internet, before we call on God to rain fire on those folks that we disagree with? It seems to me in this day and age that we are really ready to be the sons of thunder. Whatever the issue is, we're all ready in our self-righteousness to rain down fire on heaven on those who disagree with us. And Jesus' words: you think you're better than them? Well, you're not. In what ways are, are, are you like Melech? in that place of poorness of spirit, recognizing our own faults and failures and sins, and knowing that the only one that can release us from that is the Christ. As I thought about this this week, I thought, you know, in some ways, in my life, there's both of those. You know, there's things in my life that, you know, there's that little voice inside me, says, you know, if you knew this about me, you wouldn't love me. And I think almost every one of us has that. I don't think I'm alone in that. But when that voice begins to speak, then instead of, instead of going and turning to Christ with that, so often what we do is we, we try to kind of shield ourselves from it by building this shell of pride and self-righteousness around us. And instead of looking at ourselves, we point our finger at others. sometimes Ramelech and the Sons of Thunder. But only when we are willing to be in that place of being poor in spirit do we give Christ permission to enter into that part of lives and bring the healing that we seek. So how, how do you understand in this kind of passage in this reading and the clips, how do you understand uh, or how do you experience what it means to be poor in spirit and to be in that place where you are honest with yourself and with Christ about who you are? And, And what would it look like for God to bless those who are poor in spirit and perhaps more directly what would it look like for God to bless you? when we enter into that sons of thunder phase and we are self-righteous and condemning, Jesus says to us, you think you're better than them? Well, you're not. But when we're in that place of being poor in spirit and saying, so now you know, this is the kind of man or woman you've chosen to help, then we're open receiving that gift of grace that brings healing to all we are. Which one do you want to be? The sons of thunder or the poor in spirit? Let's pray. Almighty God, you know the depths of who we are. And so often we think if you, if you knew what's inside of us, you would not love us. And so then we begin to put on this armor. And we begin to look down on those around us and point fingers. We begin to become self-righteous and condemning. And we ask that you would just pour your love into us so powerfully, so overwhelming, that it would get past our defenses and allow us to open our lives up to you even knowing that the man and the woman that we are, that we would be able to open that up to you so that we might receive your healing. And Father, help us to live into being those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.